Hello, everyone. This is Ian Rubin, and today we'll be mapping food story on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we're going to dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, and healing foods that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. The 15-Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons, which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. And that's the functional matrix. The functional nutrition matrix reminds us of three very important factors in our clinical care. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with my friend Ian Rubin. Ian Rubin is a wellness coach, coach educator, founder of Whole Self Wellness LLC, and CEO of foodstorycoaching.com, as well as an adjunct professor at the National University of Natural Medicine, NUNM. He currently wears three main hats. One, as an instructor at NUNM, his courses include health coaching, the psychology of food choice, food anthropology, and food relationship coaching. Two, as a coach, he offers Food Story Coaching, his proprietary approach to food coaching developed over the last 16 years in one-on-one and group work with clients. And three, he consults with businesses, agencies, organizations, wellness promotion companies, and individual wellness providers to enhance their coaching skills and abilities and train them in the use of Food Story Coaching. Hi, Ian. What a treat to have you on the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you for the honor and the pleasure of being here with you. I am excited to talk about this topic. We're talking about food story today. And I'm wondering, Ian, if you can kick things off with what you mean by that term. I often use the term food story and relationship with food interchangeably. So if we think about food story being all about one's relationship with food, that's probably the easiest way to think of it. So it's all of the thoughts, beliefs, expectations, perspectives, ideas, right? It's the narrative that we have in our head about the would, could, should, ought to, need tos, all the rules, all the regulations about how we interact on a day-to-day basis with food. Yeah, and it's so complicated today, right? It is more complicated every day. <laughs> I'm looking at your matrix and I'm thinking, gosh, I could have a matrix just for food story. That would be at that's least what as we'll complicated. Have. Yeah, yeah, that's what it'll be. <laughs> yeah, because food story is, it's so complicated. And if I can just keep diving in, to me, there are two primary sources of anybody's food story. And obviously, Each of us as individuals have our own food story, how we were born, our predispositions, our upbringing, our experience growing up, family experience, all that, right? So we have a personal food story. Then we have a cultural food story, everything that is outside of us, 
all the economics, socioeconomic factors, history, politics, what I like to call the matrix of food in reference to the movie The Matrix, not to your matrix, that there is this massive system of interlocking, interrelated organizations and systems and policies and procedures and businesses and organizations, right? There are all these forces outside of us that are involved in how food is raised or how it's manufactured and how it's marketed and sold and promoted to us. So each individual person and their food story is in constant interaction with this ocean, right? We swim in this ocean of cultural context that has its own growing food story that has been growing and evolves and is its own sort of living system. That's part of why it's so complicated. Yeah. I'm wondering if we can just dive in for a minute to, you know, what I term the antecedents or we in functional medicine term the antecedents, those things that come with us culturally. How have you seen those cultural meaning like, you know, we come into families that have that tendency to shove food in your face, or it doesn't matter that you're not hungry, you're still going to get another (laughs) pile of food. Like, how did those type of things influence an individual's food story? Well, (laughs) so I'm just about to teach a class called Food Anthropology at the Naturopathic College for the nutrition students. And this is a chance for me to look at the last 150-odd years of the cultural forces that have been at play in America that have influenced our relationship with food. So then what we see is that each individual person growing up in a different time, location, socioeconomic background, family shape, family size. So if you grew up like I did in the 70s and vegetarianism was making a bit of a comeback in the 70s, my parents, when I was maybe 10 or 12, decided to try vegetarianism. My dad or my mom probably were given some blood work and the doctor probably said, you know what, eat less red meat. So they started to do vegetarian. And all that was really available that was quick and easy at the time were these strange prepared foods that came in cans and it was very odd. And I remember that experience kind of turning me off to the idea of like soy dogs or I think it was soy (laughs) hot dogs at the time. It kind of turned me off to that. So like one of my antecedents was, you know, these weird processed foods that my parents were trying to eat for their health, but then also were having myself and my sister eat. So that planted a bit of a seed into my food story. And then depending on how someone's economics are, then were they growing up in plenty? Were they growing up in scarcity? And that sets up a whole bunch of someone's food story in those first six to 10 years of our lives. And it could play out in many different ways. It could turn out to be that you are still scarcity mindset as an adult, or it could be that you are into abundance and then maybe you go overboard and you overeat because you had scarcity in your life in early days. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating to just think into and stop the flow of our relationship with food to ask ourselves, what's going on here? And how did I establish this relationship? Because we are constantly, I'm assuming, in kind of a reactive relationship with food that we don't even realize we're in. That is one of my greatest contentions about this work. So I say that my system has four A's. There's awareness, there's analysis, there's acceptance, and then there's action on our food story. So when I'm working with clients or teaching practitioners to do this work, it's all about first and foremost, helping clients to become aware, oh, 
I have a food story. I have a relationship with food more than just, well, yeah, I know I have a relationship with food. I love food, but it doesn't love me back. You know, like some people will have sort of a default position with food or yeah, my relationship with food is that I hate it. I wish I could just eat a pill. Why do I have to eat food? But for some people, I've, they've literally said to me, oh, I don't, I don't have a relationship with food. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, I just eat what I need to when I need to. I don't really care what I eat. I, well, that's your relationship with food. Oh, are you saying that that has some impact on me? Yes, I'm saying, in fact, that is exactly what is having an impact on you. Oh, I wasn't even aware that that might be having an impact on my day-to-day behaviors around food. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. So that awareness is the critical step. And what happens then? Like, how are we bringing analysis to our relationship? Most of us are not even aware of the things that we do, the processes we go through, the thought processes, the decision-making matrix, if you will, of how I choose what I choose to eat any given day. So our job is to bring reflective, non-judgmental awareness and analysis to our lives around food and step back and say, oh, that's interesting. One of my clients many years ago, she had one of the best ways of thinking about it, which she says, this is sort of like CSI. I'm sort of doing my own investigation on what I'm doing, but without judgment. I'm just sort of noticing it. And I'm like, exactly. Because most of us are in this place of shaming, blaming, and judging ourselves for our behaviors. You and I have had conversations about this. Food Story's job is to bring the non-judgmental, the non-shaming awareness and analysis of, oh, because of X antecedent and because of Y when I grew up and the Z of my personal predispositions and the A, B, and C of, oh gosh, all of these cultural messages that I've grown up around, well, gee, no wonder I do this. No wonder I have such a hard time with X, Y, or Z. Oh, I never thought of it that way. I never put those two pieces together. I've never really been asked to think about it in that way. And so the client can sit back and go, this makes so much sense why I don't succeed in dietary change, why I can't cut out sugar, why I can't exercise more, sleep better, shop, cook, eat differently. I thought I was lazy or didn't have the motivation or that I was stupid or I didn't care enough. Let's get two or three steps beneath that to truly understand the deeper story. And then when we can do that in that non-judgmental way, clients can just sort of accept it and sort of say, okay, acceptance is, this is what it is. That very Buddhist sort of thing of, It is what it is. Not that I don't like it or wish it were different, but just pause long enough to accept and acknowledge the reality of this is your food story. Okay, I get it. Now I'm really understanding what's going on for me. And then if we can just pause even for a moment to let that settle, then we can step into the last A, which is action. Well, what are we going to do? Knowing what we know now, getting this greater insight, what are we going to do now? And it might change the types of things that the client wants to step into and act into, because normally, of course, it's make a list and, you know, hire a trainer and give up sugar. And I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm just going to make it happen. Or I'm going to put a dollar into a jar every time I eat sugar. Like all these things that they normally think of, this process allows them to think of something very different for their action steps. And the way food story coaching encourages people to think about action steps is to first think about an action step about their being, their sense of self. Who are they? How are they? Are they being compassionate? Are they being forgiving of themselves? Or are they being judgy of themselves? And when we help them focus on being actions, 
the doing, the classic to-do lists, check off the checklist, happen much more naturally and without as much resistance. Yeah, it's so fascinating to me. I like to think of this from a physiological perspective of going from the why me to the oh, me, right? There's that acceptance, like, oh, that's what's going on, right? And I love how you dove down into the actual relationship with food. You know, I'm often looking at that left side of the matrix in relation to the physiology and our understanding of our story that got us here, what got me here today. And it happened and started before we were born, right? There's so many factors that have influenced us epigenetically and in so many other ways to get to this place where we're raising our hand saying, I need help. And I love how you're making that about the relationship to food, which is complicated for us. And then we have these relationships with our body that are tied to our relationship with food. And then as we re-embrace our bodies, we reject any change with food. Like it's such a tangled web. There it is. Yeah, all of that is so true. We come into the world with so many predispositions physiologically, but then therefore we must also appreciate how we come into the world predisposed psycho-spiritually and emotionally and that they're interrelated. And the history of our industry, the nutrition industry and wellness in general, has meant to look at the body in a very mind-body dual Cartesian mindset. Like, oh, that's mind issues. That's body issues. Oh, I'm a nutritionist. I deal with the body. I don't talk about the mind. And I just got done teaching a class called The Psychology of Eating. And we're looking at biochemistry, neurophysiology, but we're also looking at family upbringing, cultural forces, social dynamics, interpersonal and intrapersonal psychology. And what my students have realized is, wow, I thought it was just here's what people think about food. We'll tell them what's better for them to eat and what's not so good for them to eat. And they'll do what I tell them because, hey, that's why they're here. And otherwise they're not compliant. I know. Don't get me started, right? (laughs) Don't even get me started. Right. Is it the client non-compliant or is it maybe we need to do a better job of coaching the whole person? Exactly. And it's not even just a nutrition about the body. What I find is that it becomes about the food outside of the body. So it's what I call symbiosis, right? It's where the food meets the physiology and meets the psychology. And that story that you're highlighting, I mean, eating is the most stressful thing we do every single day, not just psychologically, but physiologically. And so, what are we actually doing to ourselves? with our food story. It's fascinating. I appreciate that. What I tell people all the time is we're not just eating the food. We are eating the connotation. We are eating the meaning that that food carries. As far as we know, humans are the only creatures that put meaning and seek meaning in food. I don't believe that the lion on the Serengeti says, hmm, shall I have wildebeest today or antelope today? My hips are feeling a little paunchy. I think I'll go for the leaner cut of zebra. But we do that. We put meaning onto food for everything from birth and to death and everything in between. Once we get past sustenance, most everything about food after that is all story, meaning-making, meaning-seeking. Even Paleolithic humans likely, we don't know for sure, but likely looked at foods and had stories that they connected to foods because of seasonality, availability, what animals were eating it, foods that were the right kind of food to eat at certain times of the year, menstruation, marriage, death, 
pre-hunting, post-hunting. Like my suspicion from what I've read from the deep historical materials is that humans have been putting meaning on food since we stood upright, basically. And that has carried through our DNA all the way up until our modern day. And then it's compounded by what I again call the matrix of food, this multi- complicated, very money-driven, capitalistic, consumption-driven, marketing-driven system out there that hijacks our innate psychology and deep meaning-making and meaning-seeking around food for its own gain? And is it any wonder that the average person has so much trouble with their relationship with food in the moment, let alone trying to make change to it? And then, as you said, that's compounded by body image and then health and healthism and wellness makes it even more complicated. Right. So let's talk about action. I know we'll link to your website and your book in the show notes. What do we do to embrace that fourth A and start to untangle this matrix? Mm -hmm. The way that we can step into action the best way possible, I think, is to accept the serenity prayer. Accept the things that I cannot change and the wisdom to know the difference and what can I change. We cannot change the big outside matrix in a direct way other than through boycotts or where our money goes and voting. And we can have an impact on that, but it's slow and it doesn't necessarily impact improving our lives in the moment. So I can't stop you know, corporations from promoting unhealthy food. But what I can do is recognize it for what it is. When I wake clients up to the matrix of food, they go, oh my gosh, it's not all my fault. It's not all on me. It's not all that I'm weak-willed and non-compliant. And when they do that, it unburdens them. And then they can actually focus on what they can change, which is they can change their reaction to their story. Again, aware, analysis, and accept. That acceptance part is probably the hardest thing for most people because they want to jump right to, let's fix it. I'm like, accept that it is what it is and acknowledge it for just a moment because Everything I know about psychology and neuropsychology and Buddhism and everything I've read and studied over the years tells me if we don't pause just for a minute to let our psyche know that we're acknowledging the reality of what is, then our action steps are going to be driven to try to fix it rather than just whatever the best next step is. Yeah. This is like fast thinking versus slow thinking, right? Yes. Thank you very much. Beautiful. Great reference point. Slow thinking says, pause for a moment and say, okay, is this true? Yes, it is. All right. Given that it's true, what's my next step? And then the actions, again, if we can focus on our story, what would improve my story? What would help me be more comfortable with my story? What would help me with my relationship with food? Be kinder, be more gracious, be more considerate of myself. Don't beat myself up. Don't shame myself. Don't use negative language. All of a one of a hundred things that we could teach people. What I find is then they eat less sugar. They shop. They cook. They prep. They don't overeat. They eat when they need to. They get more in tune with their body because the story is what drives the behavior. And if we don't, no pun intended, if we don't feed the story what it needs, then the body can't follow. Yeah. How do you advise that we help people shift out of that fast thinking mindset because it can be frustrating for people when they want the fix. I mean, I'm constantly in this situation, not just with clients, but also with students, thousands of them that are like, what's the protocol for? And I'm like, oh, it depends, right? Like <laughs> it really depends. So how do you advise from a coaching perspective we help people to shift out of that fast thinking in order to embrace 
their food story as a means to their healing? When I've met with clients, I've often said to them, you know, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? And more often than not, what I hear from them is, oh, I know what to do. I just don't do it. And I say, well, then why don't we focus on that and not just teaching you more information? Why don't we actually get underneath what's getting in the way and then work on that? So that way you can apply whatever you already know that works well and whatever else new you might learn will have a better chance of being implemented. When people find me, they're usually at their wits end and they've said, yeah, it's not that I don't know what to do. I've seen nutritionists, naturopaths, doctors, plans, you name it. I don't do it. I go, well, then that's where we need to spend our time. Slow down, get underneath, get in touch with the hurdles. What's the psycho-spiritual emotional component of what's getting in the way of your capacity? Because you're capable of doing this. Most people are very capable of making the change, but they need a different kind of support. And when clients hear that, they go, right, I have information, I'm not using it. Right, so why do I want to give you new information that you're not going to use? I want you to become independent of me down the road. All good coaches probably think this way, which is I want to get my client off my rolls and make them independent. So when I tell them, you can be more sustainable with your own change and implementation if we work at figuring out how to do this rather than me just giving you more information. Then they're like, okay, I see. I have to figure out why I don't do the things that I say I want to do and that I know how to do. Right. That's what's getting in the way. And that recognition of our relationship with food, our food story, is one way we can take that step back and start to untangle and recognize and bring that awareness. Do I have that right? Correct. Because most people are still being taught, eat this, don't eat that. And then if you're not doing what I tell you, either you don't understand it, you need more information, or it's a lack of motivation and willpower. Right. Let me get you the evidence. (laughs) That's what people are like, where can I bring the evidence about gluten? I'm like, is that actually what they, like, who needs the evidence? (laughs) Right. What? Wait, vegetables are healthier than fast food? No one has told me this before. I don't believe this. Prove it to me. Right. It's never about that. It's never about that. It's that I don't want to give up French fries. And the question is, okay, why don't you want to give up French fries? Not, but you really should give up French fries because they're full of all these horrible things. It's a whole change in perspective. And when a client gets asked that question, you can just see their light, the gears grind for a second. They're like, wait, you're actually asking me why I think it's hard for me to give up French fries? Well, because they're delicious. Okay, keep going. What else? Tell me more. Oh, you actually want to know why I've had a hard time giving up French fries. I've never thought about why it's actually hard for me to give up French fries. I know they're bad for me. I know that I would feel better and lose weight or whatever, whatever, if I didn't eat them all the time, but I still do it wait, you're actually asking me to think about this and unpack it. And that's part of this work? Wow. Mostly I hear this from my nutritionist colleagues who I'm training in food story coaching because they're more likely to be talking to them about nutrition science. My clients, you know, my direct clients are just purely food story coaching clients. But when the conversation about nutrition can include our story about food, our relationship with food, my colleagues tell me that it is transformative in the ability for the clients to make progress. Even though the progress might not look what they expect, nor what the doctor or the other wellness practitioners expect. I've had practitioners tell me that they have clients making progress by doing food story, having made zero changes to their food, their A1C changes, their cholesterol changes, their energy changes. They didn't change anything with their food. They just worked on their food story and they made change. Yeah. Amazing. Ian, I 
could talk to you about this forever. I know there's so much synergy in the work we do, and there's so much to the stories. Story is really at the core of the work that we both do. I'm wondering if you had one thing that you see us in the field of nutrition getting all wrong when it comes to food story. What might that be? Well, I think what I will say is this. We often forget the more we are interested in clinical nutrition, the science of nutrition, the biochem of nutrition, we forget we're working with people and that food carries meaning. And that that meaning that food carries is more powerful than any science that you can explain to the client. Ooh, beautiful. What a good note to end on. Ian, thank you so much for the work you do and for joining me here on the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you for the opportunity. It was fun. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks to Natalie Merrill, Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, and Rowan Bradley for their support in making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.